Welcome to Swing Angry Live. I am your host, Brandon Matthews. It's my pleasure to bring you the latest in sports performance and player development strategies from a variety of industry experts as we discuss some of the hottest topics in baseball, softball, and athletic development. Be sure to follow us on all major social media platforms at bmat0416 and check out the website, www.bmatthewsbaseball.com. If you would like to be a guest on the show or would like to recommend someone for the show, please feel free to reach out. I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, well, welcome to Swing Angry Live. We've got a special guest, uh, new Texas Rangers minor league hitting coach Colin McBride joins the show. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, I appreciate you jumping on in a, a probably hectic, uh, pretty busy time in your life. I know you uh, you just got back in town today, I believe, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was just down at the Arizona Complex, uh, just kind of getting oriented and, uh, you know, getting a chance to check it out before spring training gets rolling. And, uh, you know, it's pretty chaotic then. So give me a good chance to get acclimated. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and get into Arizona and experience some of that nicer weather for this time of the year. Yeah. So sure. um, uh, for those who may not know who, you know, who you are, can you kind of give our audience uh, an introduction about, you know, where you're from, um, your experiences in the game of baseball and how you got to exactly where you are now? Yeah. Um, graduated high school uh, from Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, Lake, uh, Lakeside Lutheran High School in Wisconsin. Uh, in 2013, um, went to Northwestern College in Iowa, Orange City, Iowa, a little NAIA school out there. Um, went there for four years, played baseball there. And then uh, when I got back uh, to Wisconsin, I, I worked for a sports training facility. Um, the guy that owned it kind of wanted out. So um, I basically took it over, bought it out. And then a uh, couple months in, one of my good buddies, uh, Charles Davis, uh, who was my college teammate, roommate, uh, all that for, you know, four years. Um, he had been playing a little bit of indie ball and ended up uh, getting released. He went to school for business admin. So, you know, uh, I called him up and said, hey, man, like I, I do the, the strength and conditioning, the training. My background is um, exercise science, human performance. But, um, you know, I needed an admin guy. So he came out and, uh, you know, at 22, 23-ish, we just kind of dove right into it, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, you know how that goes. None of us really went to business school. So, um, yeah, made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, we've still currently run that and own that. Um, and then um, in 2019 at the ABCA baseball conference in Nashville, um, College of Central Florida, their head coach, Marty Smith, he was presenting with uh, driveline on a little bit of on a side panel there. And uh, their previous hitting guy, strength and conditioning guy had just gotten hired by the, the Indians at the time. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of hit him up trying to really just get some info about recruiting, you know, more like what's the what's the crux of recruiting, kind of cut the fluff stuff. And uh, we got to talking. He asked for my number. Um, and then I ended up coming back later that night to interview um, for the job and then uh, ended up getting they called me back a couple hours later, offered me the job. So I went home the next day, drove back to Wisconsin, packed a bag and flew out to uh, Ocala, Florida with just a backpack. Um, so it was, it was pretty wild that year, uh, then COVID hit obviously a little bit into the season. So, uh, that cut our season short, 
I believe at the time we were like 22 and seven. So it would have been a good year. We had a lot of really, really talented players. Um, and then I came back, worked at the facility and that's kind of what I do, you know, in, in the winter and summer I work here. And then I was at college of central Florida in the, the fall and spring. Um, and then just as of recent, um, I just got hired by the Texas Rangers this offseason. Uh, I'll be in Down East, uh, which is the low A affiliate in Kinston, North Carolina. Uh, that's ironic. Kinston's only about an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half from where I'm at. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. Yeah. Kinston's a great little town, um, a lot of baseball history. Uh, the Down East Wood Ducks are a fairly kind of new branded team because they used to be the Kinston Indians uh, yep. back when I was growing up. Yeah, I think it's their fifth season as the Wood Ducks. Yeah, so that, that's pretty cool, man. Um, if you're a fan of the Major League movie franchise, um, you know, the the whole theme of that movie and stuff kind of relates to the Kinston Indians mascot and uh, their heritage and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool to, to make that connection between that movie and, and uh, that organization here in this little small corner of North Carolina. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, you've got a varied background um, i think your exercise science background will be pretty good for some of my audience because you know we try to talk about like how building hitters is not just in the cages but it also happens with um, your weight training and your your exercise regimen your diet your nutrition and stuff like that so how do you how did you help out um, hitters develop from that side of it as well like how does that exercise exercise science background help in the development of hitters yeah um i mean number one like you know your physical side is a huge part of of just playing in general um you know you kind of have how i break it down is you have like your skill stuff you know so that would be like your if you want to call it your swing mechanics or your movement stuff same thing as throwing um but then you know you have the physical side so uh, you know, you can have kids that move really, really well, right? They got a great swing. They, they can play the game, but, um, you know, they don't scale up because of the physicality because they don't realize that, uh, you know, the training side is, is really what separates a lot of guys at the next level. Um, you know, we at College of Central Florida, we are lucky to get a lot of really physical guys coming in. Uh, one that comes to mind is Edric Felix. Um, you know, he came in as, uh, I think, even underaged uh, as a, a college freshman. And I mean, the guy was like 210, six foot one, you know, pulling 550 on the straight bar deadlift. Like, uh, I mean, that's something that like when you start at that level already, uh, you know, it lets you devote a lot more time and energy to the skill work. Whereas, uh, you know, guys who don't have that side of it coming in or getting to the higher levels, uh, you know, you got to spend a lot of your training economy building that and really focus on that, um, which just kind of takes away from other aspects of the game. So, um, you know, that, that would be my overarching thing for like younger guys is just, you know, take it serious and it, it takes time. That's the thing is one off season isn't going to, you know, change you uh, physically. Like, yeah, you might put on 10 pounds, 15 pounds. You might put a little bit of strength, but, um, you know, I kind of joke about like dad strength or old man strength, like that's long-term strength, right? Like those guys have acquired that through a lot of years of physical like activity movement. And there's a difference between being temporarily strong and being long-term strong. Uh, you know, like there's guys that 
they could maybe not lift a weight for three months and come back and still be repping pretty close to their one rep max, right? Like that's long-term acquired strength. Whereas some guys who just make gains for a short off season, you know, they don't lift or train as hard in season and then those are gone. So um, I think the really important part is consistency over a long period of time. And, and the sooner you can start, um, you know, the more you'll be able to basically carry that and build off that. Um, you know, yes. Yeah, so, so two things you just mentioned, like sooner you can start, um, and you know, long-term in season lifting so you can sustain it. Um, those are two topics I think that would be beneficial because a lot of people don't exactly know, like how young is too young to start weight training or, um, you know, uh, strength and agility training and things like that. And, and there's a lot of different beliefs on in season lifting and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, number one, I would say um, there's really no age that's too young. You know, it's just what you're doing that's age appropriate. So the example I use is, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, Midwest. So you get a lot of farm kids, um, you know, like those kids are from those uh, country kids. strong kids. Yeah, exactly. From five, six years old. Right. They've been moving hay. They've been, you know, hauling buckets, whatever they're doing, physical labor. So, uh, you know, I think if you relate it to that context for younger kids, there is no age that's too early. Do I recommend like throwing, you know, an eight-year-old under a barbell for a back squat? No, not at all, right? I mean, there's there's give and take to it. You can do that. There's there's youth kids that train for Olympic lifting, but, um, you know, just doing things like basically I break it down for our youth kids here at the facility is uh, just push, pull, um, hinge, squat, and carry. You know, like they're going to push something, whether it's horizontal. So like a, a push upright is a horizontal press or a vertical press. Um, something overhead, they're going to pull vertically, a pull up, right? A lat pull down, single arm, whatever. Uh, they're going to row and then they're going to hinge, whether it be both legs bilateral or single, single leg. Um, and they're also going to squat, right? Bilateral or single, uh, single leg. And then they're also just going to carry stuff. Uh, farmer carries, you know, just carrying a hex bar with weight on it, uh, for laps is, is one of the most underrated ways to just kind of build some physicality and build some strength. Um, so I think if you just keep it really simple like that, there's no age that's too young to train. Um, and yeah, it's funny. My, yeah. my daughter's three and um, or she'll be three in April here pretty soon. So she'll go into our facility here in our backyard and I've got various uh, um, weighted balls sitting in there, such as like two or three, four pound med balls all the way up to like 10. And, you know, she, her curiosity, just she walks in there and she's like, grabbing it, picking it up, walking with it. And I'm like, that four pound ball and you're only like two or three years old and she already has the curiosity to do it. And I think if you take a lot of younger kids, just, um, you know, natural everyday activities and use it as resistance and use their body weight as resistance, it's a good start and a good foundation. For sure. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, like you said, the simpler, the better, even pushing a sled, you know, like that's, that's a super underrated thing um that i think like you know there's no age too young to do that or to drag something carry tires uh, you know just do anything do anything to be physically active climb a tree uh you know like all that stuff that's kind of not as common nowadays uh that was probably more when we were kids yeah when you people were getting outdoors more and screen time wasn't as much as it is now for sure um, what about in-season lifting um i know you know, you just touched on a little bit about it's important to start lifting um, because I think a lot of kids, they they come into high school probably um, 
first time experience with, you know, their a, a good weightlifting program or maybe not even a great with weightlifting program. Um, but a lot of athletes when it's in season, they don't lift at all. Yeah. Um, that's the number one way to basically hinder yourself in my opinion. Um, you know, there, there's a big part of that comes with balance. So, uh, training economy is something that I talk to, whether it's kids at my facility or especially the older kids, um, you know, the, the college guys and such, it's a little more important for them to understand just cause kids are more plastic in terms of, uh, they recover right a lot better. Um, and they, they're, they're more malleable. So like, you know, when a, a younger kid breaks a bone, they heal very quickly. Whereas, you know, somebody who's 65 takes a lot longer to heal the same thing. So kids, uh, yes, you do have to monitor as much as, you know, throwing volume, those things. But as far as activity, like kids are pretty able to do a lot of activity, um, you know, and, and still uh, improve and stay healthy or not overtrain. Whereas college guys, you have to be a lot more meticulous. You know, their schedule, they're maybe doing homework till one in the morning. Then they got an early class. They got lifting. Um, so, you know, with that in season, uh, it's really about just regulating the volume. And, and this is the hard part. I think that's what makes in-season training tough is um, you have to know yourself and the better you know your body, the better it is. Uh, you know, a lot of our guys, that's why I really try to teach our guys what training economy is about, not uh, preset things. You know, I give them a lot of like autonomy in season. Yeah, we'll have our set lifts and things we do. Uh, but, you know, they might come up to me and say like, hey, Colin, you know, like uh, I just played four games this week every day at shortstop. You know, my legs are, are just heavy, you know, and it's like, all right, well, let's sub something for you know, our big lift for something a little bit lighter or just a different move. Um, so I think it's hard to be, uh, and I say this all the time, it's very hard to be a good strength and conditioning coach because it's not just about book knowledge. It's about having feel for your athletes. It's about uh, kind of, you know, having situational awareness um, and basically understanding what your goal is, which is playing and winning games. You know, your, your training should not hinder uh, your performance in season, but you also have to understand that you're not going to feel great every day, especially at the professional level. Like if you think those guys are feeling great for 160 games, like you're fooling yourself, you know, they're, yeah, they're, without a doubt. Tired. Um, you know, they're, they're doing all those things. Uh, so just to kind of lay out a really simple thing that we do is in season at CF, we lifted three times a week, um, sometimes four, depending on the game schedule, but we really just kind of kept it very simple in, in the way of, uh, when we had our bigger break, so like our two days of just practice, we would do our heavy lift, right? So that would be our like heavy press, our heavy squat, our heavy hinge, um, more of like our low reps, high weight stuff. So they have two or so days to recover. Um, and then like the kind of in between where we had a game, like say Wednesday, Friday on that Thursday, we'd hit like a little unilateral lift. So, you know, something more movement quality based, like a, a single leg pistol squat, something like that, a, a single arm press, a cable row, things like that. Um, and then if we had to lift day of based on our schedule, we do like this little power lift, um, like trap bar jump, uh, bench press throws, you know, just very like simple things that aren't going to fatigue you, but you're still getting a lot of force output. Yeah. So when I was in high school, everybody took weightlifting during their uh, sport specific season, such, you know, a football player would take weightlifting in the fall. And, you know, a lot of baseball players are taking weightlifting in the spring and things. And when I was going through school, um, all of my buddies and stuff, they'd be like, oh, it's game day. We don't we don't have to do anything today because I don't want to be tired for my game. 
So with that being said, like, should you be lifting on game day? Um, I mean, I think you should. I think a lot of all the good programs are doing it. But it's like you mentioned, you you kind of modify the program based on what the players need and they can still develop physically and continue their lifting. But it may not be a heavy day, depending on how that player feels and what their schedule is today. Absolutely. Uh, no, I mean, like I said, at the professional level, uh, which, you know, for a lot of kids playing the game now, you know, whether they're 10 years old, like that's what they aspire, right? They want to play professional baseball. That's their dream. And, um, you know, especially as you get older, you have to start doing things that will prepare you, right? Uh, way I look at it is like, you can't prepare for the environment you're in. You always have to be preparing for the environment you want to be in. So, uh, you know, if you're just matching the environment you're in, uh, you're only lifting two days a week in season because, you know, you're in high school and you think, oh, I don't want to be tired. Uh, well, like the, the professional guys are doing, you know, their heavy lift and then they got to go play a game. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're playing every day that, almost. And, you know, and that determines like that's their livelihood, right? Like, you know, you're just tired because you stayed up playing video games where they're tired because they just, you know, had a, a long bus trip and they play six days a week. Yeah, they, they don't have a, a day where it's not Tuesday, Friday, we play and we have a few practices like every day is is game day pretty much or it's a travel day and they still have to lift um, and show up at seven o'clock fresh and ready to go. So I think it's important that we teach the youth athletes, you know, even at um, the middle school, high school. And if they do have aspirations to play at higher levels that you've you've got to get used to. Um, training the right way and building that body and building some strength because a lot of kids come into college undersized. Yeah, without a doubt. That's, that's the number one thing. Like I said, just to kind of circle back is, um, you know, we get limited training economy. And uh, if you're the, the true freshman, especially with COVID and the backup of players, as, as I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, it's really tough to find a spot. Like, this fall, we cut a lot of guys that were really good, like that were really good players. But, uh, you know, or there's guys that are very interested in the program for, say, our next year's recruiting class. They're really good players, but there's just not a spot for them because, you know, they're 18 having to compete with kids who are 21 at the junior college level, even uh, who are much more physical than them. So, um, you know, and, and the other part of it is like as you go up, hopefully right the right programs your your skill coaches become better um and so what i would say is you know if you can spend that time when you're with a, a skill coach who can teach you the game at a higher level right coach you in the technical skills of the game uh, better basically you want to spend that energy and effort doing that you know you don't want to spend that time that you could maybe be spending a little cage time before practice uh you know having to have more lift and stuff like that um if that makes sense yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, let's take us through like your your hitting development journey as a, as a hitting coach. Like, were you always a hitting guy or was your background? You know, we know the exercise science background, but how did you start dabbling into the hitting side of the game? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess it's funny, like, you know, your, your own personal experiences definitely dictate, uh, you know, like the person you become and stuff. So, uh I was never a good defender. I never really had a position. I caught a little bit in high school because we really didn't have a, a catcher, you know, per se. Uh, and I went to a small school. So they were like, hey, man, like, you know, hop behind the dish. So I caught I got to college and they were like, dude, you're not a catcher. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I played a little bit of first base. I tried playing a little bit of outfield, uh, you know, and I just never really had a position. 
Uh, but the one thing I did know always growing up and hearing is, you know, if you can hit, they'll find a spot for you. It doesn't matter. So yeah. that was, that was kind of my view on it is like, I know I'm not a good defender and I didn't really know what to do, uh, to become a better defender, you know, especially when I was going through college, 2013, uh, ish 17, you know, there wasn't a lot of info on like developing your arm action or, you know, resources to become a better thrower or defensive stuff, you know? So it was kind of like. I know enough about, or I know a little bit about hitting and, and I was always like a fairly good hitter. Um, so, you know, I think it was just easier to study and learn um, and then go from there. Yeah. But, uh, so they didn't tell you uh, if you're a great bunner, they'll find a spot for you. <laughs> they said yeah. if you're a great hitter. Uh, if you, if you want to know about bunting, um, I think you could uh, go to the college of central Florida, go to our hitting stats from last year. Um and again, don't quote me because I don't remember, but there was, I, I want to say almost halfway through the season, uh, we were the number one team, uh, offensive team in the entire like division one junior college uh, at, for like seven categories. Uh, I think we were leading in runs scored by almost 150 more runs than the second place team who only had like three less games than us. Um, so yeah, no. And, and I think we maybe had one bunt, maybe. Uh, and that was like a suicide squeeze to win a game. Actually, I think we did win the game on the suicide squeeze. Um, that we did. One of, one of my proudest stats as a former JUCO hitting coach is being able to lead the region in fewest attempted sack bunts in the whole year. Um, and we were we were top five in all the major categories of offense, and we were leading the the one that said fewest sack bunt attempts. Um, <laughs> Because I, I mean, it probably went down as a sack bunt, but we never, I never called one sack bunt. If we bunted, we were trying to, uh, we were trying to score a run. We were never giving away an out to move a guy to second. It was always like, if we bunted, we're bunting for a hit, and if we happen to move the guy to third while we're doing it, that's a bonus. Um, and, and getting to first base was a bonus, but we were either safety squeezing a run in, squeezing a run in, or uh, trying to get a guy to third and also trying to make it safe at first, but not just giving away outs. Um, but for some reason. Uh, people on social media think if you're a great bunner, it also means you can hit. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I don't, I don't know how much time we have to dive into uh, all the the perceptual things of hitting and and why that's completely not true at all. Um, those two do not correlate with each other whatsoever. Um, but no, they don't. And I think like part of me creating this show is to talk about like hitting development and, you know, I want to talk to other minds and, and learn from people that I bring on the show because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm learning from other people and trying to add to my, my tool belt and hopefully some other people will learn too. And I just don't make the connection between like, if I want to develop hitters who can compete in a game against some of the nastiest pitching that we see today, um, whether it's at the college or the professional level, or just develop. Um, a middle school or a high school hitter to competitively help their team win a game. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're a great bunner. It doesn't mean that they're going to be able to execute uh, a timely swing and square a ball up when somebody's pitching to them and trying to get them out. No. Yeah. You're, you're spot on. And to that, I would add is, uh, you know, you only get so many reps, especially at the youth, youth level, right? Like uh, owning a travel ball org. I, I see this all the time is, uh, and why we really push for this, uh, actually on our softball too, which shout out to our softball girls, they rake, uh, they don't bunt. Um, but, uh, you know, like you're getting so many limited reps at the, uh, youth levels, you might get two or three good pitches to swing at in, in a like 
even two games, you know, sometimes like there's kids that'll get six walks. Um, and if you're really going to waste those opportunities uh, on bunting the ball, I mean, those reps just don't add up. Like I always say, this is the best hitters hit, man. Like uh, why do you think they're so good is because they hit like when you have your, your middle of your order bat coming up to, you know, late in the game and it's a tie ball game. Like, he didn't bunt when he was younger and he's not going to bunt now. Like he needs to learn how to do what he has to do when it matters. Um, yeah, and the only exactly. way that is, is actually hitting. Yeah. And I think we handcuff so many youth hitters into, um, you know, and I'm not saying teaching the skill of bunting is not something that kids need. I'm just saying it's the, at a development age, it's the lowest skill on the totem pole that helps them make a team as far as, um, you know, if I don't have speed, if I'm just an average defender, I'm an average thrower, um, you know, my arm strength's average, like my hit tool is what I need to develop because the field gets bigger and the bat gets bigger. It doesn't get easier as you get older to hit. So when we when we don't take the time to teach all of our 12 and 10 and 11 year old kids to, you know, move well and, and just hit a hard line drive over the infield, because we spend all of the time, well, you're not really that good of a hitter, so let me teach you how to bunt because we can expose, like, youth defenses are not fundamentally sound. So, of course, if we we can use bunting to an advantage to win an 11-U game, but are we sacrificing this kid's ability to compete when he's 15 years old? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever, like, you probably have, but the 80-20 rule, right? Like, why would I spend a lot of my time uh, you know, on something that I'm only doing 20% of the time, right? Like I'm going to spend my most effort on what I'm going to do a lot. So, um, and, and I agree, you know, teaching bunting isn't necessarily wrong, but I'll also a little caveat to that is like, I guarantee you if we got a kid at 18 years old, right, that ranked uh, at 18 and never bunted his entire life, I bet we could teach him how to bunt in like a week and a half. If you exactly. had a kid that was the most elite bunter on the planet and they showed up and they had to play in Florida Juco where most guys are 88 to 92, right? You even get some guys like 95 plus, like they're not even sniffing the field. So it's just, you got to spend your time appropriately and the reps you're going to get because time comes fast. You know, I know they're only kids, but the more you can, you know, um gear their development and just spend the time what they're doing in the right places you don't have to worry as much in the long term um i think that's why like so many professional players you know guys that played the game at a high level their kids are so good um is number one like they know how to act right because they've seen like their parents know how to act uh because they played at the highest level but also because the the parents understand the dad understands what's most important at, at the level you know so they just have their kids spend time doing what's most important and then uh, over time that adds up over those youth years and by the time they're in high school they've put so many more reps in the right places than the other kids yeah you don't get that time back at you know the the development stage and we need to use that time wisely um, for long-term athletic development so that when, you know, if they do want to play um, high-level baseball and they have to step into an environment where you're facing 88 to 92 on a regular basis, that you can stand in the box with some confidence and you're not just some fish out of water who is lost and um, trying to survive and trying to figure out, somebody save me, you know? Um, and at that youth level, I, I don't understand why people don't equate the two things of, you don't have to be like 
you're not saying bunting is not a skill because everybody who is like, and I won't name any names, but there's a lot of people out there who are like, you got the, you either bunt or you don't bunt crowd, but it's not even about that. It's about how can we maximize our players development so that they have a chance to compete at the highest level. Because it's like you said, you get an 18 year old kid who comes in who can hit competitive pitching 88 to 92 and hold his own in the box. You can teach that kid how to bunt if you need him to safety squeeze a run in or, you know, drag for a hit or something. But you really aren't even going to spend a lot of time with the kid who can't even time up a fastball or anything like that. But he can he can really tap one on the ground. Good. Like that kid's never playing anyway. Like he at best, he's a he's a fringe guy who's on the cut list or he's just a, a bench guy who who pinch hits once in a while when you're losing big or you're winning big. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's tough, you know, and, and, uh, just kind of as an example, um, cause I know they're listening. So, uh, I got to give a couple people a little shout out quick. Um, the stranges, uh, and then also KJ and Vishnu, they were, uh, two families that I did lessons with, uh, you know, pretty consistently while I was down at, uh, college of central Florida. And, um, one of the coolest things that I was able to see, uh, was, we uh anderson is his name we would set up the machine a little bit uh and you know the big thing for him was like long-term development right like yeah he's he struggled against slow pitching don't get me wrong but when you get the kids throwing hard like that that's when he was at his best um but they really bought into the the long-term training concept and one of the coolest things that i ever saw was uh we had the machine set up for practice that our college guys were hitting on um and i just left it and he was 12 years old uh, at the time. And one of our college guys, uh, Victor, uh, he wanted to get some reps. And so he's like, hey, I know you're giving a lesson, but can I hop in? And they hit together on the same machine. Uh, and, you know, it's like you just our guys would see it all the time. They would come around and just be like, man, he's really hitting like the same machine we're hitting for practice and like getting barrels. Right. Granted, is he hitting the same as our guys? No. But like, you know, he would get barrels. He would be competitive, put the ball in play and like um you know yeah maybe he struggles against the the softer pitching a little bit sometimes but i know for a fact when he's you know 15 16 years old like he's had so many more realistic reps than those other kids who just hit front toss and t work all the time yeah he's gonna have a chance to hold his own in a game that probably matters um you know maybe when he's playing varsity baseball and they're playing a, a conference game on a weeknight and they're facing a tough pitcher he's probably gonna be able to compete a little bit you know yeah, I would, and I mean, I, I think I think that's what you're going for. Like, you want these guys to, or you you want the guys you train to be able to perform in the game, um, because that's the ultimate bottom line. Is you know, no matter what you're doing in your training environment, uh, and and what your beliefs may personally be, if your guys perform in a game, you know, that's the that's the bottom line right there. And we get, I think, some people get lost in, well, I see this drill on the internet, but I don't understand it, so let me bash it or I don't agree with what you said. I think you're wrong. But at the end of the day, if you're helping hitters perform in a game and your hitters trust you and you have a good relationship with those hitters, that's what it's all about. And when you create an environment where your 12 year old kids hitting on the same machine as some of those college guys and, you know, he's able to get a, a couple of barrels in there instead of getting blown away. I mean, you're headed down the right direction. Absolutely. No. Yeah. it's. Yeah, I think you hit it spot on there. Uh, what do you think? Uh, so talk about some of the training environments that you would put some of your hitters in, you know, in a private setting, how you would develop them, you know, practice environment, deliberate practice or block practice and random practice. 
Yeah. Um, and I'll kind of actually like, you know, blend that the the private setting, because to be honest, I got my facility, we don't do lessons. Uh, we just do an open training concept. Um, so like we just have on floor trainers, whether it's myself or uh, Grace Delman, who's our um, like head trainer while I'm not around. Uh, you know, we're just out there on the training floor and kids can come in at any time, hit, you know, we'll do front toss to whatever, feed the machine, just set up stuff. Um, but to, to kind of build on that is um, what I basically my big principle um, and, you know, just doing a lot of research into like motor learning and skill development and all those things, which I think for anyone who wants to be a great coach. Uh, just to, to preface it with this, you have to get uncomfortable with your learning. Um, you know, like if you're not learning things that you are uncomfortable with, you're not really learning. Um, you know, I taught myself computer programming when COVID first happened. Uh, it was something that I always wanted to do to be able to manipulate data, visualizations, all that stuff. Um, and I mean, it was uncomfortable, right? Like, I mean, I sat there and I didn't even know what I was trying to do. Um, but you know, I, you basically just start. So that just to lead in with that is I think anyone who wants to be a good coach, you have to learn about skill development, motor learning, like all those concepts. Um, and then you'll, you'll really see why to what you were saying and what we were talking about earlier, why the things we were talking about matter in the long run. Um, but to kind of get into it, what I really call it simply, you know, there's, there's fancy terms and you talked about like block learning, random practice, all that. Um, I just call it skill blending is my simplest way. So um, there's a balance right between skill development, emotional state, uh, and like just a lot of factors that blend in. So uh, what I really try to do is basically separate hitting into two things, whether you, you basically have your striking or your movement, right? So like uh, how your body moves, which is going to be best accomplished in a, a setting where the perception of a moving object doesn't matter. So basically, right, like T work and for younger, uh, for older kids, front toss, right, is not really perceptually based, right? Like they're not, they don't have a hard time tracking the ball um, in the T. It's just, it's sitting there, right? Whereas younger kids, even front toss can be a little perceptually demanding, right? Like they're still learning how to track the ball. Um, but what I would say is in those environments, right, you're kind of building your movement or your skill, your striking ability. Um, and then as it scales up, right, you're challenging that skill into perception and like how your visual system and right and like what you've done dictates how your body moves. So basically what I'll do is, you know, most guys are working on some type of movement all the time right like we're trying to clean things up uh so we'll start maybe a little bit of t work right just uh, a couple drills that they're going to get primed right like they're getting their body feeling what they're trying to do movement wise um if that makes sense and then from there right then we're taking that into a little bit more demanding environment but still controlled so then front toss for the older kids right where they can still work those same two to three movements in that where they're still not really being challenged on what they're seeing with the ball but it's a moving ball now and they're able to to basically try to implement that in a little bit more um chaotic setting i guess if you want to call it that and then you can take it into either uh hand bp or you know some type of light machine work um and then eventually like a, a real challenging setting which would be more realistic machine setups. So basically what I try to do as uh, whether it's youth or college, anything professional is basically just blend that progression all the way up to a realistic environment. 
um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the highest test is obviously going to be the, like the game. You know, when a pitcher's throwing live and trying to get you out, that's probably the most difficult environment a hitter is going to experience. Um, and then when you scale back from that, um, you want to try to meet the hitter. Like where where are they currently at in their prerequisite skill development? You know, how old are they? Uh, what experience do they have? What skills do they already have? Where are the, where are their current deficiencies at? Because you you probably wouldn't train a ten year old exactly like you would train you know a twenty one year old or twenty two year old college junior or something like that because they they come from different prerequisite skills at the moment. You know, I'm we're closer to that game like training and that highest difficulty environment at twenty one years old, and we can probably spend more time in that environment than we are with the nine-year-old who maybe um, doesn't even have fine motor skills and balance and they're still growing, you know, they're still developing, you know, who they are as an athlete and things like that. So how would you, do you agree or disagree that you train those athletes a little bit differently depending on where their skills currently are? Yeah. Um, I think that's just where it goes into the fact of like uh, uh, coaches, eye, coaches feel whatever you want to call it. Right. Like, like, as I kind of said earlier, with strength and conditioning, you know, you can have all the technical knowledge in the world. You can know every little thing. But um, the great coaches at the highest level, they just have feel. They just they understand people. They understand interactions. They just they have this like sixth sense, right, of what needs to be done. Um, so I think a big part of that, I, I agree to some uh, level of what you said, but I also disagree a little bit in the fact of um, I think it just depends at the current time. So for maybe the the college guy right we might spend a lot of time in just a non-perceptual setting uh if we have limited time or we're really really trying to focus on making a movement change right we're just going to get a ton of reps even though they're not translated yet we're just going to get reps on that uh, whereas with the youth um i really try to keep it balanced to be honest i know kids don't have the best movements and, and there's all sorts of different views on this but um i'm a very like free learning type of guy uh and i think you learn a lot from watching kids so sometimes uh i think there's a balance that has to be had like i talked about with kind of emotional state and confidence where yeah i'm gonna you know get a, a younger kid a 10 year old kid right we might do a little bit of stuff that builds some confidence but then i'm gonna put him in a setting that you know maybe he's failing succeeding like 50 50 uh for a little bit but then i'm also gonna sometimes and again this is where there's a lot of disagreement but i think just my own personal opinion is like, I'm also going to take the kid and put him in an environment where he maybe has like 5% success. Right. And I think sometimes you can learn a lot from that. Right. It's not so much uh, that, you know, they're, they're getting really that much better. And, and I'm not a big mental toughness guy. I think, you know, that is what it is. Um, but I think like kids can learn a lot from themselves, you know, like maybe they really, really struggle one time and, they're on the machine, you know, getting them, say they're hitting for an hour, 40 minutes of it is in like a super, super challenging setting where they're having success one out of 20, right? Maybe it's not the best for learning, but I think in terms of them understanding like the process and failure and things like that, it, it kind of balances with that, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what I was going back to is like the the college guy, he's got that prerequisite skill set and it's pretty high. Um, and, and you got to meet him like where his needs are. Like you said, if you're making a movement change, the movement change is probably not going to be impactful if you're just throwing the slider machine at him 
um, as you're working through that movement change and he's trying to feel something new. You may start out in a lower difficulty environment, uh, such as, you know, some tea and some front toss and blend and then try to test it into into that, you know, game like environment. Uh, And then when you talk about the younger kid, you know, like, for example, you get kids who come in with all different uh, prerequisite skill sets. Like I get some 12 year olds who are really like just athletic. They have really good hand eye coordination, like their bat to ball skills are just probably in the top 10 percent of kids their age. And they're just really good at just, you know, matching playing with the ball and stuff. So if I give them some front toss and they're like, man, I'm barreling these like eight or nine out of 10. I'm like, you know, you can tell this kid's got a pretty good background. He's probably been playing for a little while. So let's see what you can do off of the hack attack. You know, we'll throw maybe some blocked fastballs at you and just see how you handle it. And if they go in there like um, zero for 20 now, well, first you want to see like emotionally, how does that kid handle the failure? You know, if they're just like miserable, um, you probably want to, talk to them and get them out of the environment instead of just like, all right, for your next five lessons, since you hit front toss real good, we're just going to go five lessons in a row and you figure out how to hit this fastball until you figure it out. And if they go four or five lessons in a row and, you know, they're one out of 20, one out of 20, like they're consistently failing every single time you got to check in and make sure like, is this kid at a, at a point where he can even handle that failure or is he on the opposite end? Do you have that kid who, like now they just don't believe in themselves at all. And they think, well, I'm not very good as, as a hitter. I don't even need to play this game anymore. You know? So I think it's like you said, if you, if you know the athlete you're training and you know what challenges they, they like, like some kids like to confront adversity and they like to confront the challenge. And then there's other kids where you have to, to meet them in the middle and blend it where this drill is probably going to be really easy and you're going to have a lot of success this drill will get a little bit harder and you get into that like sweet spot of the training where you're you're succeeding about 50% of the time uh, and you've got to focus enough to do it. And then this drill might be, hey, this is probably going to be more game like you might get three barrels out of 10. But if you get three barrels out of 10, you're competing pretty good for the level of difficulty you're at. Absolutely. I, I think you, you reiterated that really well and, uh, you know, kind of explained that out because couldn't agree more on that. Um, I think like you know, just kind of build off of it. Exactly what you said is it's that feel part of it where sometimes the kids who are very good for their age, uh, you know, and, and are in that point, like sometimes you need to do that where I, I've done that, where it's like, hey, you know, the next three times we meet, like we're going to do a little bit of T-work front toss, you know, 15 minutes, like get going, just do your initial like skill feel stuff. But we're going to spend 40 minutes and it's going to be tough. But just know like, it's going to be three times, but all I'm asking is that every time for the next three times we meet, you show up and you're just ready to go to work and attack it. Right. And maybe it's not the most fun. Right. And again, there's balance with kids. Like, uh, you know, it does have to be fun, but also like sometimes they got to face a little bit of adversity. And, and again, just from personal experience with some of the kids I've worked with, I've seen that where, um, you know, uh, again, just going back to Anderson, who I was talking about before, like there was like three weeks where it was like, he would just take, take, take on the machine. And it's like, they're all right down yeah. the middle, but he just like, he was just like, there was something going on. And then all of a sudden it was like, just finally, like the third day he like caught like kind of a barrel. Um, and then like, you know, you, it's also with that is you just got to keep building them up too, depending on the environment, right? Like there's challenge, like sometimes you got to challenge kids, but also, you know, sometimes you have to just build them up. And that's what a lot of those were, is, you know, those three sessions of just like really challenging machine setting. It's like, 
I'm just building them up the whole time. We're not, you know, I'm not talking about, Hey, you're doing this wrong or whatever. It's just like, Hey, you can do this, man. Like, I know you can do this. You got to believe in yourself. And then it's like, once they flip that corner, then like, it's just crazy to see the confidence. And then that's when you get the situation I was talking about earlier, where it's like, dude's hitting off the machine with college guys. And it's like, he had to have that short stretch of struggle and, you know, and, in tough spot. But once he got over the edge, then it was just, you know, it's, it's from there. Yeah. I think it's so important that, that coaches know the athlete they're training so they can, they can meet them where they need to be met and, and challenge them appropriately, you know, because you, you don't want to be on one end where we're just living in our comfort zone all the time. And then you don't want to be on the other end where you're just like, you don't know how to swim. I'm just going to throw you in the ocean and say, figure it out, you know? <laughs> so you, you're trying to meet them right in the middle so you can prepare them for that long-term success. Um, let's talk about like college of central Florida, you jump in and you take that job as a hitting coach. Like what were some of the strategies and some of the, the, the training economy things that you put in place that you think helped your guys hit on game day? Yeah. Um, well, number one, uh, you know, Marty head coach there, great guy in terms of, uh, just to kind of throw this out there for people who don't know, uh, I'm the sixth guy out of there that's in professional baseball now. Uh, I'm the sixth straight guy that was the volunteer assistant there. So, uh, you know, just to give him a shout out, anyone who is wanting to become a high level coach, you couldn't ask for a better environment. Tech, elite players, uh, a lot of professional, you know, people around, whether it's scouts, uh, a lot of high level college programs there. Uh, you know, and just the experience that he's had winning over 800 games, um, you know, like I got to learn a lot, but also the fact that uh, he's a very like empowering guy uh, in the fact of like, he's a true, what I would consider a manager at that level, which isn't common. You know, he tries to bring in guys to fill roles. And uh, as long as you take care of your business, you know, it's really like uh, he trusts you and let you do what you want. So, you know, we didn't do, we don't do long distance running, uh, we do most of our like um, aerobic training, right? So like short uh, duration, high intensity training, whether it be like med ball stuff, sprint stuff before practice, um, but no like crushing volume, basically. Uh, you know, all of our training that we did was geared for a reason, whether it was strength, movement quality or force output or power output, however you want to, you know, for all the sticklers out there, however you want to define it. Um, basically, you know, that's, that's what I broke it down to. So are we trying to move stuff fast? Are we trying to move well, or are we trying to produce a lot of force and move something heavy? Um, and I think when you keep the goal, the goal in the, those terms, it makes it really simple, you know? And again, I'm not saying that aerobic conditioning is bad, right? It's not bad to, to, take a jog or do whatever. But if your guys are running 10 poles every day, uh, you know, and they're, they're beat from that, like you're not going to get good quality swings. They're, they're not going to be able to move at a high capacity to produce change in, in their swing and in their skill development. Um, so really just understanding that as far as, you know, in the fall, we lift four days a week uh, in the morning. So we have groups that lift uh, before practice, a couple of groups, and then also pitchers, something that we do is pitchers lift in accordance with their throwing schedule. So, uh, you know, usually after a guy has a high volume, like say a bullpen and outing, whatever, that's when you're going to lift your heavy lift um, because you're, you're kind of already recovering in that same way. Um, 
from like muscular fatigue, soreness, all those things. So that's when you'll hit your heavy lift, uh, your big strength stuff. And then, you know, a couple days out as it goes, then you'll hit your movement quality in the middle and then day of, or day before your outing, that's when you're hitting like your high velocity movements. So like your med ball throws, uh, you know, again, like plyo pushups, trap bar jumps, any of that type of stuff. Um, so again, just really understanding how to organize the training to which it benefits playing, not takes away from the, the skill itself or the game. Yeah, what were some of the things you guys would do for practices? Like, how'd you guys prepare for games, and how'd you prepare your guys to hit and face the the elite type pitching you see in Florida JUCO? Yeah, so now you're getting into the crux of it, which is like the part I was hoping we get to talk about. Um, so, really, just on the hitting side, usually, or I'll just say this: generally, how our practices would go is, uh, you know, they'd show up, do their warm up, uh, do any bands or plyos uh, for position guys that they're going to do. If it's a heavy defensive day, then they'll do throwing. Uh, a big thing that we did is just like, uh, you know, and I, people have all sorts of different opinions on this, but regulating the throwing volume for position guys, I think is huge as well. Uh, you know, if, if we're just taking some fly balls that day, like they don't need to throw, you know, they don't need to air it out. Like they'll just play some light toss just enough to throw it in or infielders. Maybe they're just doing ground balls only or double play feeds, but they're not, you know, thrown across the diamond. So uh, the biggest thing I think with that is regulating that throwing volume as well. Again, so you can, you know, when you need to be able to throw and throw often, you can do it right. You can do your relays and your hard throws from the outfield, or you can do your real defensive stuff uh, in the same way as kind of just touching on the training stuff. But as far as that, usually what our hitting stuff looked like is um, we would set up either three or four groups, depending on what we're trying to do. But we'll have a on-field group, a cage group or two cage groups, and then a shag group. Um, and so really like uh, to kind of get in a little bit of prefacing to this is what my big theory or kind of using computer programming skills was is basically understanding how uh, swing or like swing data and exit data go together. So being able to pair blast motion and Yakker tech, uh, which is like our on-field capture system for those of uh, people who don't know, like TrackMan, Hawkeye, StatCast, whatever you want to call it, right? That's ours is Yakker tech. Yeah, that would provide like your batted ball outcome data yeah. and stuff like that. And, and all the pitching, ball flight, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so really what my kind of hypothesis getting into early uh, was, was basically like using those paired together because they're separate technologies. So I just built a little program that basically like could match the timestamps and, and all this stuff that doesn't really matter, but basically like matched it. So I could get all of their info for our BP uh, setups, whatever we're doing. But really what we, what I broke it down to is, um, you know, I'm sure you've seen the Rays kind of like pitching uh, clock, right? Have yeah. you seen the graphic? Yeah. So like most people train the same way, right? Like, like your coach throws the same BP, you hit the same guy every day, you hit from the same spot, you do the same stuff. So like, that's my example is the kid who had a left-handed dad, right? He's probably pretty good at hitting lefties, like, cause his dad always threw lefty BP. Um, so what we really try to do is I looked at like all of our previous years uh, in-game data, all the pitching stuff, and even included our own guys. And if you think about it in terms of that release clock, right, like different release heights are going to produce different angles to the plate. 
Um, and so, and also how they release right on the side, on top, whatever, right. That's going to produce different spin movement. So really what I try to break it down to was like, what are guys good at, right? Like what angles are they good at and what aren't they good at? So, you know, we would test like high slot righty. We would test like mid slot, a little bit lower, low, even subby, um, and then BP as well. And then basically we're able to kind of create like a hitter profiling system, right? That said like, okay, hey, this guy's really good at high release, right? His bat path is, is able to match that. But when it gets lower, he struggles, like he doesn't have a good path. Um, and so kind of gearing their training to what they need when you have that information is really what we did. And then obviously in a team setting, right? Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to like lie and make up stuff to, to make people happy. Like, you know, team settings messy. It's not a facility. Like you can't individualize everything. Like you don't have time for that. So really it's kind of looking at what our, our biggest needs are, right? Like a, what setups or angles or, you know, like what breaking balls change, like what did guys struggle at as a whole the most? Okay. We're going to spend a lot of time hitting that and then just kind of work our way down, right. Of what guys struggled the most at. Um, and then in the cages, we would also usually kind of set up an alternative setup so whether we have these light flight balls uh, that actually spin true uh, much more like you know mid 2000s spin rate whereas uh, junior hack hack attack they really don't spin it the same um, but we would set up like exaggerated uh, movement shapes so like a two-seamer but it's like a chris sale two-seamer yeah. right and uh, they're light flight so the guys can take swings without the repercussions of getting blown up um, so really, and then like in the, the other cage, we would set up more movement stuff. So they're kind of being able to do like movement prep stuff, whether it be, if they want to do a little bit of T, they want to hit front toss plyos, right? Whatever they can do some movement stuff, then they can go to the machine in the cage, hit some pretty exaggerated shapes, different stuff. And then on field, uh, whether it's hand thrown dual machine setup, whatever it may be, right? Whatever we're doing for the day. Um, then they kind of get a dose of all those environments. Again, as we talk kind of skill blending um, together. Yeah. So, I mean, you basically created like a pitch profiling system where you could create different pitch profiles and throw them at your hitters and find out like exactly where their strengths and weaknesses were against the type of pitchers that they're probably going to face throughout the season. Right. Yep. And so, yes, and then th that's, that's phenomenal work too, too because you got to think about like, if you can replicate the guy you're going to face as close as you can using the tools that you have, you know, then that's going to allow them to practice as closely related to facing that live arm as they can and prepare for it. Absolutely. Um, no, yeah, it's, uh, it was really effective, obviously, like, you know, data is only as good as you use it. Like, you know, a lot of people are against data. A lot of people are for whatever, you know, there's opinions, but um, it's just a tool. It's just a measurement tool and it's how you use it. You know, data doesn't define our hitters just because one guy's not good at steep, uh, like high release, steep descent angle doesn't mean when the game comes on the line, like, oh, you just give up your at bat because that's the guy you're facing. Right. Um, but and you may not, you, you might not even, you're not going to get that pitch in that same spot every single time anyway, but you develop plans, you know, to, to improve that weakness or avoid swinging there that often, you know? And to kind of build off that, just like two little points that I hope I can touch on is uh, the number one thing that I saw, which I is going to shock a lot of people is 
the best hitters are not consistent. They're variable. And what I mean by that is um, the best hitters have the ability to change their swing pitch to pitch uh, to what they are seeing, not to what they saw. So just as like a little context, um, like we did a lot of contrast stuff. So we did like three feet off the mound left and right. So like extreme righty lefty. And then we also did extreme vertical. So like big hack, big legs, uh, junior hack on the ground. Right. And we alternated between, um, and then looked at like the averages and the standard deviation between not each setup, right. But between going left to right and going up and down. And what we saw is the best players were not consistent. They were able to go from a 14 degree attack angle, right. Or like a, a more uphill bat path to a flatter bat path to match the flatter pitch plane. Right. And like, most people always think like, Oh, you know, you got to build a swing that you can repeat, repeat, repeat. Like not at all. You're, you're trying to build a swing that, 10,000 different swings is what you're really trying to build. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, you're not going to get the same pitch in the same spot in the same at bat probably five times. You know, if, if you if you see five pitches, they very well be maybe five fastballs. It's doubtful that they're going to be five in a row, but they're probably going to be five different spot fastballs, you know. Um, and this in simplistic terms, hitting off the tee is the same spot moving the tee around you start to work some different spots and then when you elevate that really low skill uh setting into what you're talking about creating like in this round of bp you're going to see pitches from different angles and you're going to see pitches at different quadrants in the strike zone how well does your swing play in all of those locations and it's not necessarily the same swing probably has the same principles but you're uh, you're you have the ability to match the pitch in those different quadrants with a little bit of a different approach angle or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's the environment you're going to be tested in in a game, you know, especially today. I mean, guys are throwing fastballs at the top with a little bit of ride, and then you got a guy who's sinking at the bottom, and you got the horizontal break wipeout slider guys. Like Blake Trinan is just like, it looks like he's playing blitz ball in the backyard yeah. with some of the pitch <laughs> profiles he has. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's just amazing that you're able to do stuff like that with the guys that you were working with there. And, and with, the, I, I think you, it's like you said, you had a, one of the better offenses for that spring for a reason, you know, and it doesn't happen by accident. It happens with intentional, deliberate, you know, practice plans and training environments. Yeah. And just a, a kind of two little things to add to that is number one, um, you know, you were saying even like, right, like you're not going to see the same pitch and maybe this is, you know, very, very like high level. So not so much for like the younger kids uh, or, you know, even for like, it doesn't matter as much the average person, but just to conceptualize like every pitch, right? Like no pitcher has the same release point, right? Like if you plot, like we have their release points, we get all of their release point, right? So, and you get all the pitch data. So like one pitcher in one inning he might have like a variation in a, of four inches in his release height, right? And then he also might have two to three inches variate like variation in his release side. So that's changing the angle. Also, like how he pressures the ball. Maybe he just pushes a little bit with one finger. Now the spin axis is slightly different, right? Like 
you're literally you, you have to think of like you have infinite amounts of combinations right that can of how the ball's coming at you granted you can't distinctly perceive that but again to, to go to what we were saying is like the more you challenge yourself in that setting like and you see so much variability your brain innately becomes good at being able to to adjust to things that you don't even necessarily practice right like if you can do this and this you can fill the in between in right if that makes sense yeah i mean unless we're creating robots to play the game they're not going to repeat the exact same uh functional body movement over and over like same slot same spot you know um and especially at the youth level i mean if, if we've got some of our best uh, motor skilled athletes uh performing these movements think about the youth pitchers i mean their windups can change from pitch to pitch at 12 years old um so they get a lot of variability uh, and then you've got you know more arc in the ball at 11 and 12 years old when they're pitching it so when you talk about like using technology and using data it's only as useful as the person who's is interpreting the data and how they use it um i know a lot of people who have a hit tracks and it's just a machine that sits there and <laughs> it's like an arcade because they don't yeah. use that they don't use the data that it provides they don't even provide reports to their players so you can you can have a rap soda you can have a hit tracks you can have the blast you can or the diamond kinetics or whatever but if you don't know how to use the information it's kind of useless you know yeah without a doubt um and just what you were talking about you know about building setups uh like one of the coolest stories i think we had was uh lake sumter state college you know uh, in our conference they usually don't have a lot of velo guys just being honest they get a lot of crafty guys right like they get guys that are what I would consider pitchers, right? Like they mix pitches, they change speeds, you know, they might just take like one or two off the fastball just to get you off the end. Uh, you know, they're just like, they have different arm slots, like they're really variable guys. Um, and they had this subby guy that was just our bane of our existence uh, for my first half season and uh, the, the second year. And I think they threw him like every time it was a tight game in late innings. Like, so we're playing them for our final conference one. And, uh, I was like, you know what, man, like, yeah, we're not we're not seeing these other guys, but I know we're going to see them if the game matters. So I was like, I know it's untraditional, but I got there early. And I was like, we're doing the subby setup like I don't care. Uh, and and just to be honest, even though it's funny because our coaches, uh, our head coach and our other hitting guy and pitching guy, they're like, that's really the pregame setup you want. And I was like, yeah, because like I know we can hit the rest, but like we struggle against this guy. And like, lo and behold, uh, it's like late in the game, it's tie ball game. Uh, and we end up, I think, coming back and scoring like six. We had like eight straight hits off of him. Uh, and the guy, a freshman, uh, I don't know if he was pinch hitting or uh, just had his game that game, but uh, hits a double to left center for like two, three runs to to walk it off. You know, so it's like it was just funny that that was the day we we hit that pregame setup. And that was the finally the time, you know, that we got to him. So um, that stuff matters. It really, really does. Like if you can see it and you can practice it, it makes a huge impact. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about the the advances in information that is available for for big league hitters and for professional hitters they pretty much have the most detailed scouting report on on every pitcher they're probably going to see within the series um the starting rotation the bullpen arms and they're able to just jump down into the cages and replicate those pitch profiles and if like if you know 
a, a Kenley Jansen is coming in to pitch. You can jump in the cages. If you're probably going to pinch hit in a roll, they'll send that guy down there and they'll replicate his profile. And you're stepping in the box with a little bit more preparation, you know, and that's kind of like what you're doing there. You know, the subby guys probably who they're bringing in in a key situation. So let's just be prepared for it as best we can if they do bring him in. And, and we've got a pretty good shot to be successful. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you spot on. When you got with you getting into the, the professional baseball industry and, you know, just starting out and things like that, like, are there, are there things you've learned now without getting into any, you know, insider secrets and stuff like that within the organization, but are there things you learn now that kind of open your eyes more or are you kind of like, um, haven't gotten that far in yet? Um, yeah, a couple, I guess, uh, spending a week, I got to spend a week with, um, the assistant uh, player development guy, which is uh, they have a hitting and a pitching guy, and then also the hitting coordinator. Um, and then the high A and double A hitting coach were all there when I was here or when I was there this week. So, um, you know, definitely got to like bounce a lot of ideas and, and, you know, like concepts and just different views that say the same thing. But I'll also tell you like um, a big part of why, like, I think it was a good fit for me and also for them, uh, is like, we have the same beliefs. Uh, you know, it's like, I wouldn't want to go to an organization where just to be in professional baseball, where I have to lie through my teeth every day, just to appease somebody, you know, um, that was a big reason why I think it was such a good mutual fit is we have a lot of same beliefs, you know, and, and again, not without giving out any trade secrets or insider stuff, but um, you know, just really like mutual belief systems on that type of thing of, of trying to match pitch setups and teach guys to be variable and, and just all those things I think are really what we've gone over. Um, but I also think like, the depth of it will come, you know, like there's, there's going to be a lot that I learned that's much more intricate than I already know. Yeah. I mean, you're not reinventing the wheel of hitting because, you know, that's not what people are trying to do at all. Um, but I saw something on social media today that was uh, talking about the simple motto of, of hit strikes hard. And they're talking about, wow, that's so revolutionary. Like if that were, if only we had known that in little league, you know, um, but everybody complains on, out of the other side of the mouth that hitting coaches today or hitting instruction today is just overcomplicating things. And I'm like, well, this guy's just saying the simple motto or the simple um, principle behind their training environment is hit strikes hard. And you're complaining that that's too simple. So it's kind of like, well, it's too complicated. It's too simple. Like what are people actually looking for and what's to complain about? Yeah. Uh, I think it's what's hard for people is, is it has to be both, but as we've touched on a bunch is, you know, it has to be the right time. Like sometimes, uh, you know, uh, just using guys again at CF, like you have the guys that, uh, can be very very intricate right like we had a catcher who's at university of new orleans now like one of the, honestly this dude's gonna be like an amazing hitting coach when he's done playing right like nose hitting so so in depth but it was also his achilles heel because it's like at one point he was hitting like four something and he's like you know in bp he's like hey i think i'm feeling and i was like miguel shut up like shut up just stop like just over analyzer yeah like just go hit 
please. Like, and then, you know, you also have the guy where it's like, he's over 27 and it's like, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I'm just doing, I'm just missing or, you know, it's just not me. And it's like, well, no, it's the stuff we've been trying to get you to do right for X amount of time. Um, so I, again, I think it's just really hard to balance that. And as you said, a bunch is just knowing your people is it's more, you know, coaching is more personal or soft skills than it is even technical skills. Um, I was, I was talking to to one of the other guys for the Rangers about this. Like, it's funny how there's, there's guys who are just terrible technical coaches, right? Like they really don't know anything about hitting, but their dudes rake. Like they just, they put them in the right environments. They say the right things, right? Like they just, they have a way about them, but then you have the most technically knowledgeable skill guy, whatever. And it's like, his teams are terrible. Like they can't hit the hitters can't hit. They don't know anything about the game. And so it's just kind of like a paradox, you know, you're always in, in between that. Yeah. We had a, we had a funny, a little joke. Uh, we don't want to talk nerdy. Um, cause you know, people talk about talking dirty and stuff, but we're like, don't talk too nerdy to the players, uh, whether it's the pitcher or the hitter or whatever, cause we don't want them thinking about, uh, the descent angle of the pitch and the horizontal break or whatever. We just want them to go and step in the box and, and be that kid in the backyard who looked for a good pitch they could drive and they could hit it. Like there's a time and a place and in the on deck circle is not exactly the time and the place to be so nerdy. You know, they don't have those soft skills or those people skills. Yeah, no, and it, and actually to even kind of build off that, what's something that's really cool that we had going on this fall was like, um, I think being able to relate nerdy concepts to simplistic things that are actionable. So for example, like, you know, yeah, we'll talk to the college guys, like, you know, we've had in-depth talks talking about how like attack angle, right, and, and descent angle and like all these things, right? Do they have to understand it perfect? No, but a general idea. But then we tie it into a more simplistic, like actionable concept. So like uh, one of the coolest things like that almost made me shed a tear at first base this fall was uh, we're seeing a guy and uh, one of the guys we had that was a transfer. So I'd only had him for that semester, only a couple weeks. And he comes in the dugout and he's like, hey, guys, it's, it's like machine setup too. like just think machine setup too," And it's like we our next couple guys go out and it's like yeah i think we got a couple barrels had some hits um not like awesome we hit five home runs but like you know for them to be able to like take that and it's like that's a player helping his teammates with an actual concept like he's not saying you know the descent angle is five degrees yeah. it's just like hey guys but like, he can relate it exactly like he's like this is what we've practiced like this is what it feels like like let's you guys know what machine setup two feels like like let's go hit machine setup two um yeah, and that was, yeah that's that was that's so the cool. big thing i mean like you on the one end of it you can understand it as in-depth as you want to from a technical side and match it up match all the relationships up you just got to figure out how to relay that information to the athlete and to the hitter who like it's almost like being the conduit you know some guys you can probably explain it in the more detail because they they speak that language and they want it other guys, you're speaking this, you're sending the same message, but in a different way that matches what they relate to, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It just you got to find the right way to talk to the right guys. Yeah. There are some guys I think who, if you gave them that information, they would probably overthink and become a robot or whatever. Um, like, I mean, you can talk about like, 
the biomechanics of the swing. Like we've got KVS now, we've got the 4D motion, uh, we've got the, all the blast data about early connection and, and connection and impact and forward tilt and side bend. Like you can get all in, all into the intricate details of the degrees of this and that. But at the end of the day, some hitters don't need to know it all. They just need some hitters just want to know like, okay, I just, I don't care. I just want you to tell me how I fix it. Yeah. And then some hitters want to know, okay, all that makes sense. You know, they want the full report. They want to know exactly what it is because they, they do understand that language and, and they're interested in it and it does connect with them where the, the other guys just like, yeah, I, I believe you just tell me how to fix it. You know, tell me how to get into better forward bend and turn it into side bend or whatever. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's funny how you can have uh, the same conversation with a lot of different guys. And, and just even, you know, as an example, like I've had a couple guys uh, for three seasons, basically, or, you know, like uh, five semesters ish. Um, and so like, as that's grown, I, you know, I could have more, like, they've heard me talk these concepts. So like, uh, like Kevin Kilpatrick was a guy we had, like, uh, it was so cool to see his evolution over the time of, of to, like being together because it started as like, you know, just like, Hey, Kev, like not this, this, right. Okay. And then like, then it got into like, right before I left where he's like, Hey, like, you know, I'm feeling like on, on certain guys, like, you know, if they have like a big move, like a, a like say whatever they're doing, like, you know, I'm going to like, just go with like a smaller hand move in this, but like guys who have like a, a longer, you know, arm action, whatever, like I can do this or like, you know, just kind of those conversations. Um, and it's really cool to see that evolve. But then, you know, again, just what you said, like we had a catcher that, um, you know, like he does, he really doesn't care to know. And so it's just like, Hey coach, how was that round? And it's like too flat, like more uphill. Okay. That's like for him, it's just like be more uphill, be more flat, be more downhill. Like, and it's as simple as that. Yeah. Speak their language. And if they can connect with it for one, as, as long as they trust you, they're going to believe what you say, but you got to send that message in their language for sure. So in respect of your time, and I know you're busy and everything, we're going to get ready and wrap up. I want to leave the end of it open for like any, like what do, what do you want to leave the audience with? Like if there's something that you haven't been able to talk about that you really want to hit on and any advice you might want to give for um, a player who's coming out of high school who wants to play collegiately or any advice you would want to give for um, aspiring hitting coaches who want to help their players develop. Yeah, um, man. I guess number one would be uh, for players is um, your ego. Well, everyone, honestly, your ego is going to be your enemy. Um, you know, like uh, personally, like I went through it. There was a time, you know, like we were really good. Um, and that first little bit I was there and, you know, it's like you kind of develop that. And then my summer season coming back wasn't that good. Um, and then, you know, it was like you kind of go through those ups and downs and it's like, oh, wow, maybe I don't know as much as I think, or like I haven't, you know, I'm not arrived. And then it's like, you kind of humble yourself and then go back. And then it was like that, that humbling experience led to all the things that I wanted to do for that next season. And then it was like, you know, you just kind of go through those waves. So you're always going to experience, you know, I think the best people are going to have a little bit of ego, overconfidence, whatever, but it's managing that and balancing it and being able to let that drive you, but also being able to take a step back and say like, okay, 
it's my time to shut my mouth and like listen and learn and and do things like that uh, as a player and as a coach um as far as like aspiring coaches or parents um and this is probably one people don't want to hear is like listen don't talk like ask your players questions ask them what they're feeling don't tell them what they feel or what they're supposed to feel like you don't the body is so complex and like well we don't even we won't even get into it but it's like the everybody's bones like your your femurs might be different lengths like you might have different muscle fiber type like muscle fiber shapes like like in your body you're it's so complex so how you conceptualize and feel things is not at all how someone else does um and when you try to especially parents like when you try to tell your kids what to feel or like you know you're just brutally hard on them like they don't want to play the game um and to be honest like this is the the last hard-hitting thing i have is like um how much does coaching really matter you know like and i i'm a professional baseball coach and i say that like what would happen if there was no coaches you know what if we just rolled the ball out and let them figure it out like there would still be a lot of elite players right um so sometimes i think we like to think we have more of an impact than we do um and sometimes we probably think we have less of an impact than we actually do um and i think sometimes the impact is more on the personal side of how you treat and interact with people um and you know just being a model for people like that's the most special part that i've experienced is you know kids that maybe they don't go on to play power five baseball but they play small time d3 but like they never even thought they could achieve that and you know it's really special um so I guess, yeah, you know, we talked about a lot of things, but those would be my simple things. It's like, um, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's a game. Uh, we love it. That's why we're a part of it. But keep it in that context. Like, it's not life or death. Uh, how you treat people matters a lot more than the game itself. Yeah, and you brought up a very good point. You know, sometimes we can help or we can hinder, you know, a child's development um, and you talked about a little bit on the parent side you know just be careful and and i would say like sometimes coaching can get in the way of a kid learning um i i know for me uh and kids don't do it as much just these days but i grew up in on the weekends playing wiffle ball with all of my neighborhood buddies and i think we learned the game of baseball a lot on like those those wiffle ball days on the weekend where we just played from sun up to sundown and we would stop to just to know, just for long enough to grab pizza um, yeah. for lunch. But we just played and we figured out like making mistakes was not, we weren't scared to, we weren't fearful to make a mistake because we didn't have umpires. We didn't even have parents watching. They just, we just went and, you know, found my grandma's backyard and invited all our buddies over and made up our little bases. Like, first base was a tree and second base was a corner of a house or something. And they weren't we even just, <laughs> exactly like we're just out there playing and okay, I threw it to the wrong base and I gave up a run, but guess what? I learned it in the process. And now I've talked about this before. I think a lot of kids, unfortunately, they only get to learn the game when there's a scoreboard and umpire on another team. And they're always scared to mess up, you know, because they think it's going to be the end of the world. Absolutely. Embrace failure. Don't fear it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing with others and be sure to leave a rating or review. I hope this helps. See you on the diamond.